Wars All In is a community of fans for all things Star Wars. We want to share our fandom with you, and we'd love for you to share yours with us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram by searching Star Wars All In. Also, search on Facebook to join in the conversation with our private group. We would love to hear from you. Galaxy, it's time for Star Wars All In, where we look at all the topics of the galaxy far, far away, one item at a time. And to join me today at looking all of the, these, I've got my co-host Ross, and of course I am your host Mac. And Ross, what do we have lined up for him today? Mac, we've got a fun show today because we're going to be talking all about a ship that people seem to really like called the Millennium Falcon. Oh, oh. Do people like that ship? I think people are I fans of do. that. So we're not going to talk about all of the Falcon. We're just going to talk about a little piece of the Falcon. Not just the hyperdrive that never works. <laughs> not just the quad cannons on the top and the bottom. No, no, no. That we're going to talk about cannons. a particular era of the Falcon. We are going to talk all about Lando Calrissian's Millennium Falcon. Yes. The Falcon that we meet in Solo, A Star Wars Story, and that uh, a little bit later on becomes the property of one Han Solo. <sighs> It's going to be good. Yeah, be good. it is. So we're going to talk all about that. A few of the things we like about it, what we see that's a little bit different. Um, and from yeah. that bright, wonderful <laughs> point of looking at the bright, shiny new Lamb Falcon, we're going to go a little bit old and we're going to go look at yeah. the kind of the, the tragedy, yeah. the tragedy of the Lars family. Yeah. You know, it turns out we might have a lot to say about the Lars family. More than you might think. More than you might think. And we'll wrap up a little bit with a little bit of sequel uh, tip of the hat because we're going to talk about one of the new species that shows up there. Yeah. If we have not done enough creatures for you, now's the time. We're getting now's started the time. because we're going to start with the Vulptex. The crystal foxes themselves. Yeah. Crystal critters, as Finn says, right? <laughs> yes. And so just to give you a preview, we're going to be talking about Lando's Millennium Falcon for about 35 minutes or so. We're going to talk about the Lars for apparently 25 minutes, and then we'll wrap up with the Voltex, a nice kind of short and sweet of about 15 minutes. Let's do it, Mac. Let's go. I don't even think he's got a ship. If he does, it's going to be a piece of junk if it's in here. There she is. My pride and joy. The Millennium Falcon. Looks like you had a little work done. Indeed I have, and... Installed an escape pod and a mandible notch, alluvial dampers, a wet bar. And a fortified infraction restraint on the landing gear. Looks to me like they impounded your ship, Lando. This is unbelievable. I'm definitely gonna have some words with someone about this. You must have experience with these, right? Yeah, I could take it off. Fantastic. Along with 5% off your cut. 
You're down to 20. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But I accept it. You're getting the hang of this, Lando. Yeah. Come on, Chewie. Gonna need a little bit of that. It's the fastest oh. hunk of junk in the galaxy. Or is it? I'm not sure. Because we're going to be talking about the Millennium Falcon, probably the most famous freighter in all of Star Wars, but just a particular little slice of its life. Mostly between... Its birth. Well, it's, yeah, kind it's of. conception, the, the beginning of its life, its adolescence. I, it's adolescence. That's a good way of okay. putting it. We're, we're going to talk about the Millennium Falcon when it got its name and became the wholly owned sole property of one Lando Calrissian. And it's an interesting time for the Falcon because um, we know that the Falcon was built on Corellia like all YT-1300s are. Uh, apparently, we know that Han Solo's dad worked on them. Maybe he worked on the Falcon. We will never know. Yeah, we might know someday. There's a book or a comic book that says I yeah, could tell you that. Definitely wasn't in Last Shot. What other Han Solo? There's a couple Han Solo comic books. My guess is it's not in there. I don't think so because I don't think they've established Han Solo's father. And yeah. I think it's interesting that Han Solo knew his father. Uh, that maybe I mean, we don't know he knew him. Well, he knew what he did for a profession at least. Well, that could be just, you know, his mother filling in some gaps. Who knows? Well, maybe we'll know one day, like you said. Or, or maybe not. I don't know. We do know that Lando has a strong relationship with his mother. We know that. <laughs> and we know that from the, yeah. the chronicles of Lando Calrissian, many of which were recorded on the Millennium Falcon's bridge. Yes, yes, we get to see it happen. Okay, so let's talk about when we first see the Falcon. We're mm-hmm. going to start there. Okay, so we, uh, we have our cast of characters here. We have Lando. We have Tobias Beckett. We have Kira. We have Han. We have Chewie. And they are... Oh, L3, of course. Yeah, because uh, as we're sliding into Act 2 of Solo, a Star Wars movie, yeah. now we're we're bringing Lando full front as yeah, one of the so main we, characters. We've just met Lando. We get into the impound lot here, and we discover the, the Falcon has a space boot. <laughs> so it's uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. And uh, for What another, is that? How did that get there? <laughs> for another couple percent. Uh, Lando convinces Beckett to get it out. And that's our first time getting on the Falcon. And we get that nice moment where you can kind of see the relationship of Han and this ship. Just love at first sight. Yeah, you know, the music swells. Uh, It's that nice shot, that angle kind of down from below. So you're seeing the Falcon sort of above Han and then Han staring up at it. Uh, I mean, it's a great moment. It's a moment we had been waiting for, right? And so there's a famous line from the original trilogy of, where Luke comes in the first time he sees the Falcon, we're all like, oh, cool, it's a big spaceship. Like, no spaceship you've ever seen before. Because <laughs> yeah. Star Wars vocabulary of starships was totally out of line with what was going on. Because mm-hmm. before Star Wars, star- spaceships were sleek and rounded. They were based on rockets or based on yeah. the actual NASA flight programs. Or they were much more Flash Gordon. And so this was great because basically as uh Spaceballs joked like we had the space winnebago we had a space <laughs> truck is what the millennium falcon is but in this yeah. moment um seeing lando's it is not a hunk of junk no it's sleek it's clean it's got these beautiful straight lines nice clean white paint job with those 
uh, very stylish blue stripes, you know, on the cape of the Falcon, the cape yeah, area. The cape. <laughs> um, right where Lando would want them. Uh, you know, we've got fully filled in on the front. It comes to a nice point with some nice sharp angles and lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks much more aerodynamic. It looks faster, doesn't it? We've got, we got a more uh, elegant laid back deflector shield mm-hmm. dish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's start with the outside then, since that's the first thing we yeah. see. You know, you have these nice bright colors, this nice fresh coat of paint. Mm-hmm. Do you really think of spaceships in Star Wars as being painted? Um, I'm not saying there's a wrong or right answer here. I'm just curious yes, what your thoughts are. I, I would say they are. Okay. And I can think of like two reasons why. <laughs> so well, X-Wings what? probably, right? Well, one is we've seen markings. So uh, yes, what okay, you generally call on a plane, the liveries, yeah. the, 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 the decal stickers or, or paintings of this. So like you said, like there, we've seen squad insignias for yeah. um, the X-Wings. So that's where my mind goes. And the reason I ask is, you know, I don't think of a, say, for example, a Star Destroyer as painted. You know, I never would have said something like the Millennium Falcon is really painted other than the little bit of markings it has on it you know it has some of the red i think in the back right doesn't it right uh in the ot version and all that but you know are there any other ships that have a full kind of head-to-toe paint job so the irony of it is the other reason i think of painting is because if i remember correctly i and don't ask me where this is some off in the backwoods eu thing i remember but there is a star destroyer that was like ghost white Huh. And the reason was because that's the natural color of the um, Durasteel. Um, and they were basically saying that, yeah, normally they get imper- Imperial Gray is the color that they get painted in, but there was not enough paint available for this particular ship. And that I remember thinking... definitely is and a I remember, you thing. And the reason that I is, think of that, that is because I remember thinking like, you A, wow. Durasteel's white, and then B, they're painted? Oh my Ooh, gosh! You really had that's time a to lot. Make some crap up that's in the a EU, lot didn't of paint. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing think about it's it just is, some guy out there with a roller, like, or do they go through? Well, I mean, if you think about it, even like in so say our world, obviously uh-huh. a a even a uh, atomic uh, aircraft carrier, which is about the biggest ships we run around with, or okay. tankers, you know, that go uh, do. Um, Pacific uh, shipping and stuff. Those sure. are massive. That's about as massive as we get as far as vessels go. And they're all painted. Okay. So uh, my guess is that painting is something that happens. But yeah, I always kind of would think of the Imperials of like, we're not going to paint it. We don't have time for that. So then besides maybe some of the ships Sabine works on in Star Wars Rebels, (laughs) can you think of any other ship that is head to toe painted in Um, canon, let's say? Because I can't. Well, again, I think every other ship you could take as what we think of in our world, like the space shuttle, the yeah, space shuttle has okay. got this nice white and black, but it doesn't actually come from paint. It's literally the tiles on the bottom are black and literally the tiles right. on the top are white. They're so what ceramic. you're saying is maybe what we think of as like plain old snow speeder gray mm-hmm. is actually, maybe that ship was orange when it came off the assembly line right? and they painted it a more practical color. So we may not, no, exactly. Oh my gosh, just blow your mind for a second. Yeah, what mm. if an A-wing, that big red stripe on it, that's the actual undercoat, and it's the white paints chipped off to form that stripe? Oh, I could get on board with that. Well, I think <laughs> the thing about it is just, I think what this teaches us is that there is definitely something of a good finish, 
and a bad finish. Because by the time we meet the Linnaean Falcon in the original trilogy, it's made up of mottled browns and tans with flecks of orange on it. Yeah. And I always kind of took that as very much like the South we're like, hey, our pickup truck, the door broke off, so we put ourselves a new door. <laughs> it's from another truck, but it fit. Like, and you know, the hood and the and the one cowling over the wheel and the the door are all made of different car parts. So it's got this modeled look to it. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right, I can get Where, on board with that. Whereas I think we can all say that whether it was gussied up because of Lando's own personal style or if it rolled off the assembly line that way this is definitely a factory new look yes this is a clean job just came from the detailers yeah he maybe got a special paint job is what we're saying yeah okay we can tell that Lando is definitely a pleasure cruiser so I don't think this is being used as much as a freighter so my guess is that while it is a freighter he's just using the oversized engines to have a nice fast sporty thing yeah I, I think you know Room to smuggle when needed, but yes. also room to party. Party. Okay. And boy, can he party in there. <laughs> I wish we would have seen more of that in Solo. Yeah, we only get a few Lando ideas. Partying, yeah. In the deleted scenes. Uh, a I mean, little there's bit. there's a nice I mean, wet well, bar. Well, the biggest thing is once we go in, yes, we start seeing the interior. Okay. And the interior is where it's much more noticeable how nice it is. Because... The outside, like I said, it gets beat up and stuff, but it's still mm-hmm. the same general shape and mm-hmm. feel. Um, well, except for the uh, the mandibles up front, which we haven't really touched on yet. Yes. Should we talk about that while we're at the outside? Yeah, while we're here, because we'll go to the inside to talk okay. about it as well. So, yeah, there's the, the loading forks, the, yeah. the uh, cargo mandibles in the front. And where we've always seen them being, like, toothless with just the yeah, big open. Just the opening at the front. There is an escape pod, so a very well-appointed escape pod, which I think that Lando's probably using as a personal suite, no, noting like how the um, how the interior space of the Millennium Falcon has been presented so far. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of like, there's not room for really a bedroom. So my guess is that's what he's using it for. Hmm. Okay, I'd have to go and uh, check some visual dictionaries. You know, I wonder if the cross section guide has that in it. Oh yeah, there we should be a cross section for solo, wouldn't there be? Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. let's let's add that to the Amazon wish list. Yeah, but I'm just saying, there's we'll probably some nice stuff. I I think about it like yeah. a trailer, like like a movie star trailer okay. is like I feel that's what's mounted to the front because the only mention is on screen. We're told that it's an escape pod, yeah. mostly when Han Solo gets rid of it. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to venture inside of it. No, we don't. Um, which is good because that means the cape room is safe. Yeah, it was not Ooh. in part of that. Thank um, God. But it's weird because it really changes the profile of the Falcon because having that um, that toothed module in the front sort of closes it all up. It has this kind of sleek, almost you know, a rounded diamond kind of look to it now. Because with the mandibles closed, it looks like something belonged there. Yeah. And it looks like on Solo, its like long I said. lost piece has finally been returned, and now right. we get to see its end. Okay, so we've got the escape pod. We've got the paint. Yeah. So we've definitely nailed down the outside. So internally, mm-hmm. I think more than anything, we just get to see more of the Falcon than we ever have before. That's true. Internally. But as you pointed out, it's a heck of a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. So instead of having the, the sort of brownish yellow tint yeah. that the Falcon sort of has everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, it it's more of a, a black and white kind of very sleek look right i mean obviously very clean yeah with some like 
instead of like, um, I, I think you can maybe see tattered bits of it in the later Falcon, but like there's some yellow bits, but they're purposeful yellow bits. <laughs> they're, they're kind of a nice kind of bold gold green kind of color. Um, that he uses like around the chessboard. Yeah, um, on the, the like the stitching on the seat, you know, the mm-hmm. the cushioning on the seats and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's brighter too, and I mean, I think part of that just comes from the clean, the cleanliness of it. Yeah, but all the it, white it, surfaces it, reflect. Just, I mean, and... all, all the bulbs are fresh. Let's say that. Yes, all the bulb. Not nothing is burnt <laughs> out. Nothing is flickering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the the old Falcons lit by LEDs. The new ones by incandescent bulbs. Like there's a <laughs> there's a dim and dankness to our Millennium Falcon that we grew up on. Yeah. Now, what other rooms? Let's see. So we get to see the cape room that Han and Kira in. Yes. Yeah. So we have the wardrobe where we learn erroneously they think he has too many capes. They are wrong. Mm, yeah. No such thing as too many capes. Not for not for Lando Calrissian. No, 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 no. Okay, so we've got the cape room. We've got the main area, the 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 personnel area. Yeah, what which you call that the rec center of the ship. Um, I think you, it's got to have an official. I name. mean, I'm trying to think. I guess it would be the living area. I mean, yeah. it, there's 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 always been four primary things we've seen in the trilogy in that room. One is you've got the chessboard. So. Right. That's generally referred to. That's where the passengers sit. That's the um, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Um, the uh, something seats. The seats that actually absorb the G's of like space travel, reentry, and en- entry into hyperspace. Gotcha. There's okay. You've got where Han Solo kind of spends most of his time in that room, which is the engineering deck platform. Uh, we got to see that a lot of that in Empire. That's where you know C3PO hooks up and talks to the computer and stuff as well. Yeah. We also have that there's sort of this round couch, which we mostly see here in Solo. That seems like it disappears between Solo and the OT because that's where Mm -hmm. um, Becca kind of gives his warning to Kira, to Han. That's also where, like, uh, they bring L3 when L3's um, dying, essentially, is they're, they're propped up against that. And then in the later trilogies, that's also where we see a bunch of the grill plates where, like, um... R2-D2 goes around fixing things. Yes. So that's kind of what that space is. As far as we can tell, it's like basically the main access to everything for the crew. Mm -hmm. Anything that isn't like truly cargo area or isn't um, part of the ship, like where the engines and stuff take up most of the space. Gotcha. Okay. Anything else we're forgetting? Well, we've got the cockpit itself, which looks a lot cleaner, a lot newer, and all the bulbs still work. Yep. And there is one other additional thing that gets added to the cockpit that is there when Han Solo eventually takes over, and that's L3. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, at the start of the movie, uh, we have L3, who is Lando's droid, what would you call companion. it? Companion. Companion. Probably Co-pilot, the best way to companion, put it. Yeah. Co-pilot, companion. Um, yeah, lots Wookie of things. Wookiee friend. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the Chewbacca to Lando. Uh-huh. I mean, really. And uh, throughout the course of the movie, L3 becomes integrated with the Falcon. Yes. Uh, basically, her her brain, her memory core. Her navig- yeah. navigation core and personality core yeah. basically get loaded into the yeah. ship. So she is a part of the ship. And that is, I think, what makes this version of Lando's Falcon feel so much like, yes, it does belong to him. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of Solo... We have to be convinced that this is not Han's ship. We're so used to seeing it as Han's ship 
to us, Lando is the interloper, right? He is not supposed yeah, to the, be there. He he's brought the ship here so La- so Han can have it. Yeah, but this makes it feel like Lando's ship, and now gives me such a greater connection every time Lando is on the Falcon. To be completely honest with you, if we hadn't had Solo, I probably would not have gotten those nice, warm and fuzzy feelings when we see Lando in the Falcon for the uh, Rise of Skywalker trailer. The trailers, Right? You know, I mean, you know, him flying it in Jedi is great and all, but to me, still, he's just borrowing Han's ship. But this makes it feel so much more like his, and boy, do I love Solo for that. And the cool thing about L3 is it gives him um, great just weight to someone pouring through the OT and saying the fact that they love the line where C-3PO is like, I have no idea where your ship learned its dialect. (laughs) It's most rude. And now we're like, we know exactly in what way he means rude now. Yeah. And that is just such a great way. And, you know, I think we've said this before, but I'm going to take a minute and say it again anyway, is my favorite thing about these Disney films that we've gotten so far is they can take these little moments, these single little bits of dialogue Mm -hmm. and turn them into part of the story. And they're just being, I think, quite successful with that with everything they're doing and I love it. Absolutely. And I think what you said is is so true of like it makes moments like when Lando borrows the Millennium Falcon for the run against the Death Star 2, it has a different weight to it now. And when um they first see each other on on Empire and when like Han's like, "Hey, I want it from you fair and square." And like yeah. when Lando's like, "What have you done to my ship?" Like there's a sense of what have you done to my ship? We Han Solo, you Lando and the ship are in a love triangle (laughs) and it's kind of great. And again, also knowing that L3, this extremely strong personality droid is inside there. It it gives the, I mean, it's it's natural storytelling for a ship that someone's really invested in to be anthropomorphized, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to know it kind of comes back the other way of it does have a personality. It does quote unquote have a soul. There's something yeah. alive in it. It makes the Falcon more unique. Yeah, right. Totally. It gives it a reason other than just like we see throughout all, all of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's never just one person, right? Han would not be what he is without Chewbacca, without the Falcon, without L3 being part of the Falcon and all the other people who have done things for him and taught him things along the way. We see that with every character. Yes. Right. Luke could not fulfill his destiny and do what he did without Obi-Wan and Yoda and Rey and all of these characters who get him, you know, to Mm -hmm. those different points. And that happens with everybody, every character in Star Wars. And to have this Falcon that feels like it's a person, it's a living thing. I mean, the Falcon, a lot of people would always describe the Falcon as a character. Yes. But to me, this finally makes it feel that way. It gets it to that point because we understand what is inside of all of that metal and those wires and that circuitry. We finally understand that every time, you know, R2's putting out a fire in one of the wall access panels that, you know, he's kind of healing this thing, this person, you know, this, this entity that is more than just a machine. Right. And now when you think of like the, the scene in, in uh, empire where he turns it on and all the lights come on and they go off and then just smacks the panel and it (laughs) turns on, you can almost hear, hear like, in your oh mind's eye God, now, like right. a, like an L3 just going like, oh, right, sorry about that. You're so right. You're right. It it does. It adds so much more. And wow, it really is. I, I'm honestly, this is kind of the first time I'm thinking about it this in depth. And 
Oh, just start thinking that everything you see is a character moment or a, 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 you know, the ship having personality in the later things is that personality now has a place it's coming from. I love it. And it is great that Han got to know that droid at those moments with L3. It, It does make that. It makes Han's love for the Falcon that we see in the OT make so much more sense. Yeah. Not that it didn't before. I don't want to imply that no, no, because no, no, it's but... great, but it just adds to well, it's it's additive. That's what everything we're getting is, right? Do do you need any more movies than the original three trilogy? No. But isn't it great to have more to the story, to understand more of it, to be able to see more of it? And that's well, what we're getting here. And the funny thing about it was when people were criticizing Solo, one of the common things was like, well, it was unnecessary. And I'm like, but that's what a side story should be. As you shouldn't need a side story to understand the episode stories. Can I tell you that every piece of fiction is unnecessary? <gasps> every single one. Oh, I can understand that. I mean, like, the, it's entertainment. No entertainment is necessary. Well, and, and right? to me, like, that's what it's, it's for fun. It's for entertainment. But other than 7, 8, and 9, I feel that's what Disney's Star Wars has been, is the Clone Wars and Rebels and the Resistance. Yeah. Like, they're not quintessential tales but you get more out of the stories when you read them when you see them when you understand and i also think there's something to be said for you know movies like rogue one have stuck with such a large audience Mm. you know most of the people who i feel like i talk to who are not super hardcore star wars fans you know rogue one was their favorite film it was the one they're like oh i i like star wars Mm-hmm. The, you know, this is something that's neat and I'm kind of interested in. And, you know, we had Tavon on a, a new fan, a new Star Wars fan um, in episode seven. And he said his favorite film was Rogue One. And, sure. you know, to us, it's the one that uh, speaking strictly just for Mac and I, yeah. the one that feels the least like Star Wars. And we have our own personal reasons. That's, well, yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, that's not the point. But it's OK to have these other types of stories and these non connected stories because for other people, they're going to be their favorite. They're going to be the thing they enjoy the most. And the thing about these, again, Star Wars stories, these these side stories, which are meant to be side stories, they're called yeah. stories in their title. Like, I mm-hmm. look at Rogue One and I go, Rogue One is just as unnecessary as Solo was because everything you need to know that happens in Rogue One happens in the f- like first paragraph of the opening crawl, which is rebel spies have struck their first major blow yeah. against the guys and sold the death star plans. Like yeah. you never needed to see that, but it's neat to see that. It is. Neat and the same thing with totally, we never needed to see the Kessel run, but I'm glad I got to see the Kessel run. Right. Isn't it great. We got to see the clone wars. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I always thought the clone wars was going to be like a cloned Obi-Wan fighting regular Obi-Wan. Nope. Turns out it wasn't that. And it was great to see it. Yeah. And so I think the thing that I really enjoyed about what we're talking about with the, the, the tenure of the Falcon is I love the fact we get to see that Kessel run. We know that L3 is a quintessential part of it. It's only through her navigation and Solo's piloting skills mm-hmm. and a little help from Tobias giving the hyperdrive a kick of hyperfuel <laughs> that we are able to make that trip in just over 12 parsecs. Hey, uh, it is if you round down. I'm sorry. Under 12 parsecs. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, that... Okay, so let's let's bring it home here. We see the Falcon escape Kessel. Yep. We see it getting pretty darn beat up in the maw. Yeah. Right? Breaking the landing gear against the ground to put sparks Oh, yeah, he up. learned that trick from his buddy Needles. Yes. Remember when we were in the theater? So I'm not a fan of talking during movies at all, and Mac is more so to a Sorry. certain extent. 
Um, that was the only time I leaned over and I was like, that's a Back to the Future reference, right? It has, has to, to be. be. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way that that's anything but. And that, that's been confirmed in some other stuff since. That's great. But that is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Star Wars Easter egg of all time. It's pretty damn uh, But anyway, so we have the Ma scene where the Falcon... I would say this is where it gets the most speed up. I mean, this is where the majority of its external damage comes from. Well, she starts breaking that landing gear, which starts beating up the bottom of it, breaks off one of the guns during that sequence. Mm -hmm. You also see it then eventually get chased by this giant Lovecraftian horror teeth, (laughs) eyes, and... The Summa Verminoth. It has a name? Well, okay. So here's the thing about the Summa Verminoth. Summa Verminoth. I don't think that is that particular. Like, that Summa Verminoth might be named Bob. Right, like by the way, does it have is, any too that many, is the species as far. Does as Does it have I any too too many consonants like next to each other? That sounds like a Lovecraftian name. You know what? It's S U M M A dash. Okay. V E R M I N O T H. So no, I actually think it's it's, it's pretty, pretty straight. It's, it's as far as Star Wars goes. Oh it's yeah, it's not terrible. Well, the great old ones of like uh, Lovecraft were always words that looked cool, but when you try to pronounce them, you realize they weren't able to be pronounced. Yeah. Like Cthulhu can't. If you look at the word, it can't actually it be pronounced make that sense, way. Yeah. Right. Right. But okay. it, it's this just giant monster. And when it's being chased, it gets beat up some more by it. And also as it's trying to escape the main black hole in the maelstrom, you can see tiles ripping off the top yeah, and getting pieces pulled fall, away. Pieces being like shook off mm-hmm. of the Falcon. Yeah, like it's just grabbed by a child and vibrated as hard <laughs> as it can be, yes. right? Yes. Uh okay. So you have the Falcon getting pretty beat up. And here's where we lose the escape pod too. Yes. Han is able to lure the Summa Vermanoth. Summa Vermanoth. Yeah. Summa Vermanoth. Um, we need a, they never made a Summa Vermanoth toy. Let's pencil that in for an episode. Let's has, talk about has the Summa Vermanoth. needs to look into that. Okay. What scale? You'd have to do that. Oh, three, you'd scale it to a Falcon that's scaled to this, you know, three and three quarters figure. Action fleet scale. I'm not insane. I'm not saying. Action we... fleet scale. So it's just like room size. Don't tease me with that. Okay. Don't tease me so, with more action. So we also lose the escape pod here, right? Because yes. they lure it into the the maw, the black hole, right? Which is where the Summa Vermanoth gets basically trapped and its yeah. mass basically shields them enough to get i think far enough away that their gambit works to escape yeah i mean basically mixed with the distraction of the pod mm-hmm. right and the hyperfuel, or sorry the coaxium mm-hmm. the raw unrefined coaxium right into the hyperdrive thanks to beckett boy do i love that scene that's why you get oh, yeah. woody harrelson is for a scene like that <laughs> that's perfect okay so uh we arrive on the heck's the name of that planet at the end Oh, um, oh, Mac, we really failed here. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Um, I want to say Pisana, but that's something else. No, Pisana's that new desert planet because we need three oh, of them yeah, in the sequel I got, trilogy. I got Rise of Skywalker on the brain. It's Sorry. totally fine. You're allowed to. Um, you look it up. I'll hey, keep talking for a second, okay? Okay. <laughs> so we basically see it land, kind of. But again, as I mentioned, the landing gear has been busted, so it crashes and kind of. Sc- skims and smashes up against the beachfront. And uh, when we get out, you see Han Solo very happy with himself about how they survived. Han 
is looking over at Lando and Lando's kind of like holding his arm. It might've broken. And he's just kind of, kind of like, what did you do to my ship? As they look <laughs> back at like the wreckage of it, as pieces are still falling off of it, all the tiling on the, on the top is like busted up and broken. Uh, we start seeing that like, you know, the familiar empty maw of between the mandibles of where the escape pod used to be. Um, but luckily they got there in time. So they start on offloading all the unstable Calacrisium. They lock it into this pumping station where they can process it and they start processing it, which leads to essentially the finale of Solo, um, where we basically get to find out that uh-oh, they've been betrayed and all this kind of stuff, which leads to a great scene where Infus Nest confronts them all. And Han's like, hey, listen here, I got a whole bunch of I got a whole crew of goons down on my ship. I press a button. They're here. You're totally. And then Lando escapes with the Falcon. He just leaves just straight up out of there. And Han just like casually takes one step back and looks at Becca like, uh, we'll, we'll go with your plan then. Which is great. Savarine, Mac. Savarine. How could we forget Savarine? Savarine. Uh, very close to Tatooine, apparently. Savarine. So Savarine is where they land. And yet all of that another desert planet happens. in Star Wars. I it's like the sandcastle planet. I'll go with that. Because it's got the, got the spires. Little beach, the little, yeah, you know what I mean? The starter shaped spires yeah. sticking out of it. You know, there's thousands of planets out there. You can have a couple that are desert. You can have a couple that are ice. I don't have any problem with that. I don't Rise really of have Skywalker a problem. will end on Tatooine. We'll see. Take that to I'm the just bank. saying the, the but, sequel trilogy no. has, depending on how you count, three new desert planets, none of which are Tatooine. It's fine. And Crate is not a desert planet. You stop uh. that. Hoth is technically a desert planet by the definition of a desert. The point of the matter is... They're all then. You have a planet that's just trees, Mac. Mon Calamari and Camino are not desert planets. Anyway. Okay. The point is, on Savarine, they basically lose the Falcon, and that's the last time we see Lando in command of the Falcon, because after the finale of Solo, somehow Han finds his way over to... Um, Nemoidian Prime? Not Nemoidian. What is it? It's uh, it's like uh, Namdian Prime. It's not Nemoidia because it would be a big bridge planet. Then. That's right. Because we've is... seen, and that's not Nemoidia Prime. That's Nemoidia. Is it Prime? Maybe it is. But it's a jungle planet, and this is where we get to see them play some Corellian Spike, a variation of Sabacc, where Han is going to make dang sure that they play a fair game of Sabacc, and he's going to get his ship from Lando. And it's great. I, I, I honestly think that the entire movie is worth that last scene because it's so delightful to see Han kind of as Han. Yeah. The the fake like the fake out like hug where he swipes the card out of Lando's like, you know, wrist mounted uh, card system. The setup of like, I don't have any hard feelings. Just give me a give me a chance to win her back. <laughs> and at the end, Han Solo, as far as we know, who's an honest Sabak player. What a contradiction in terms. Mm -hmm. Wins the Falcon, and it no longer is Lando's Falcon. Now it is Han Solo's Falcon. Later be borrowed by Lando for an extended period of time. Lended. Lent. 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 Not a scratch now. Not a scratch. You promise. Well, and a whole year before that, too. Huh. Think about that. Lando was using it while Han was frozen in carbonite. Oh, that's true. So he he kind of gets it back. On he kind of stole. Lease. That's more of a steal. Yeah, that's. True. I mean, let's be honest. That when we see him, it's like, yeah, we'll go check in on Jabba, but uh, I'm gonna wear these duds. Look at this. This is a nice <laughs> vest. I don't know what he did with all my capes, but at least this was in the back. I'm gonna borrow this. 
Because can we just state, if you've never noticed, go watch the end of Empire Strikes Back. Lando is wearing, for reals, Han's clothes, and it's it's weird. And it's not like a goof, well, like how Lando... He time to grab his suitcase from Bespin. Listen, Lando always has time to get his matched luggage. Yeah. He's a fashionable okay, man. Okay, fair point, fair point. Where's his emergency cape? <laughs> yeah, he's got to have... Okay, well, I'm not going to But like you I'm said, yes, Lando, I think that's the best way to wrap this whole segment up. Yeah. It's not the last time Lando gets to touch the Falcon because he gets it in between the year or so that we have or the couple of months between Empire and Return of the Jedi. He gets it for the Battle of the Death Star 2. And we know that he gets back in the cockpit in Rise of Skywalker for some amount of time. So, again, <laughs> the three-way yeah. love triangle tryst continues. Yeah. Does Lando die on the Falcon in Episode Nine? I don't know. I got to tell you. Look, they they already killed. Spoiler alerts. They killed Han Solo. Yeah, they did. Okay, they killed Luke Skywalker. They killed Chewbacca with a moon. Wait, Ooh. no, that's something else. That's something else. Never mind. Uh, they they. I don't know if my heart can take them killing the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like one of those things, like the Falcon, the droids, Chewbacca, anything that can be put in a suit. Or made with CGI well, slash models, and and something that you can know, also seem like live forever. Yeah, like the no, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's kind of funny about the Falcon is people talk about like, oh, it's old, or like the the X wings are old, and I'm like, I come from a family we've dealt with aviation like business for a long time, and I'm like, people don't realize how long lived like boats and planes are. We think of them as like cars, and like a car has an average lifespan of about like eleven years. Yeah, your average plane has like an operational lifetime between forty and seventy years. Yeah. So it's one of these just weird things of like, I expect the star, like that there are starships in service in the Star Wars galaxy, like by the sequel times that were not even new at the beginning of the prequels and they're still fully functional. Yeah, totally. A little bit of love. You can make a ship go for a long time. Generation to generation. Yeah, because, wow. I mean, when you think about it that way, we're looking at what? About 50 years of total canon time between episode one and nine, give or take. Yeah. 52-ish. Yeah. yeah. 50 and change. Yeah. And you know what? The Falcon looks pretty good for a ship that's probably, you know, pushing 35-40. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we'll talk about more about the Avengers no, of the Falcon. it's more in like 60. 60? Right. So you have 10. All right. Do this math for me. As okay. Okay. 10 plus 2. 12. Right. Plus 19. Okay. We're now at 10 plus 2. <laughs> 31, right? 31, right, 31. right, right, right. All right. Plus 2. Okay, plus so 1. 33. 34. Plus 30. 60. 4. Wait. Right? Is that where we are? No, no. You're, you're, oh, I think you're going too far. 60. So 10. All right. 60. Right, because sixty. More I think you added the nineteen between uh, prequels and and yeah. So, yeah. so when Solo took place, what yeah. we fit ten years before New Hope. Okay, yeah. You I you said between episode one. You, yes, if you I'm saying the away, whole canon yes, is like fifty-ish years. Yeah, the Falcon is just a subsection of that, so it's right. more like 35, 40 years of life, give or take. Because you got thirty years on top of it, and yeah. then I guess if it's ten with Solo, then yeah. it's forty plus years. Yeah. Yeah, still long time. She's good. She's looking good for her age. You know what? I think she's pretty darn great. But admittedly, okay. she'll never look as good as she did back when Lando owned her the first time. Okay. 
well, she was never as full of life as if we see her in the sequel series. She didn't have a family of porgs on her. That's true. It is great to have porgs on the Falcon. And we will talk about that. But before we wrap this, I yeah. do have one important question for <laughs> you. all over the place. Because I want to... This is one I didn't tell you I was going to ask. Okay. Do you have a preference between Lando's Falcon and other Falcons? Do you like Lando's Falcon more, less, the same? Well, if you want sacrilege, um, I'll give it to you because I think Lando's Falcon looks beautiful. I think that I never – I always have a soft spot in the Falcon because who doesn't, yeah. right? Who doesn't want to go to Galaxy's Edge and look at that, crawl around it, and see it? Yes, please. At the same time, especially watching some of these pictures, people, because, like, the, the loading queue to, like, Smuggler's Run, you can take pictures of, like, the top of it and stuff, and you just see how much, like – open piping and like slapdash together like welds there are and stuff yeah. and i just think of like oh my god when lando had it it looked beautiful now it is like <laughs> it's a cobbled together demolition mm-hmm. derby car like you didn't realize how bad it was until you see the interior and that beautiful chessboard and then you realize oh my god those cushions used to be white <laughs> like altar blaster right. white all right. What did he do in here? It's like a Jackson Pollock painting in here. So Mac wants to keep it clean. I gotcha. Uh, I would, don't know if I, I would prefer it. I, I need some more time to mellow. The Falcon is something that I came to enjoyment of later in life. It was not my favorite ship growing up with See, Star Wars. So. I was a big fan of the Falcon, and I think yeah. it was just the idea of, oh, my God, it's a starship I could live in. Hmm. That made me so happy. And and at the end of the day, I think, again, the biggest thing with Lando is just you see how nice it can be. Yeah. And it just kind of makes you sad. And again, but I think it keeps spelling up. And I think they've done a good job over the years of a really establishing it's everyone's favorite hunk of junk. And I, I would not I would still pick it over a quad jumper. But I understand why Ray says, no, that one's garbage because now I know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. It does. It yeah. is a real junker. All right, well, we'll revisit the Falcon later on and talk about some of its other variants, huh? And just the last words, just so no one comes at me. But I understand it's a great ship, even no matter what version, (laughs) because it's got it where it counts. It does. Master Owen, might I present two most important visitors? I'm Anakin Skywalker. Owen Lars, this is my girlfriend, Baru. Hello, I'm Padme. I guess I'm your stepbrother. I had a feeling you might show up someday. Is my mother here? No, she's not. Cleet Lars. Shmi is my wife. We should go inside. We have a lot to talk about. Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, today's the day I'm burned alive in my hut. No, I don't think Owen and Baru did either. But that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. So we're going to talk all about the Lars family. I'm not going to lie. I've never had that imagined. I've sometimes had the imagine of like, what if I just got past my front door and got vaporized? I have had that thought. Yeah, it's like it's scary out there. Inside is safer. I feel that way too. I get it. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hope most of us aren't thinking that every day. Uh, I'm sure nice old Owen and Baru weren't thinking that, no. but here we are. They were just simple moisture farmers. But before we talk about the end of the Lars family, let's talk about where it started. The beginning. So, according to Star Wars Complete Locations, okay, Lef and Greta Lars would essentially oh. be the grandparents 
of Owen. Okay. Okay. So Lef and Greta Lars had two sons, Klieg Lars, who we know later on, and Edern. Edern, okay. Edern, okay. Uh, so Klieg marries Aka, okay. who then, uh, uh, and they, you know, birth Owen. So that's yeah. where Owen's mother comes from. Uh, and this is apparently in the most current version of the character encyclopedia. Now, this is one I did not actually go back and proofread. Uh, so hopefully Wikipedia has it right. Okay. Okay. All right. And so we're, we're hoping that yeah. we trust the Wikipedia, hopefully. Yeah. So uh, where we really start to encounter the Lars family and where we meet them for the first time in canon is when Anakin goes to find his mother, Shmi, who has been married to Klieg. Now, he doesn't know that yet. Watto sells Shmi to Klieg. Well, and... I was say, yeah, it's the classic story. Uh, man falls in love. Man buys woman from, from weird elephant flying man. Yeah. Man decides to free slave as yeah. he's fallen in love with her. You know, the normal story we're all used yeah. to from time immemorial. Yeah, and then man sells woman to Tusken Raiders and Not pretends sells. that she was taken. Wait. No, no, I don't. I don't don't float no, that no, conspiracy. No, look, look, no, look, 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 no, 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 no. But that could I'm be not, true, right? I'm that not even going to canon. apologize that Klieg Lars is a little rough around the edges, but I don't think he's that. Well, bad. after he lost his I, leg, you see. I mean, he freed her after sex. I mean, even Watto, who has no as no compassion whatsoever, is going like, "Here they free her. What's up with that?" Like, because of course I love okay. Watto. Is like, you freed her, and then, you, but why did you buy her? I could have used her. Wasted perfectly good assets, Klieg. Okay. So Klieg marries Shmi, right? Yes. Buys her, frees her. And they're, they, I mean, they seem happy together for everything we know. I mean, Owen doesn't make it seem like she came in and was the violent stepmom. And I don't feel that we had this as like dark as like, well, you know, she was nice for a slave. Like, I don't think we have any of that. Like, it seems like genuinely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It all it all turned out well. It's like a fairy tale. Like Shmi was brought out of bondage, thankfully, by a guy who appreciated her and they fell in love. Yes, absolutely. So we have the whole family here. Mm-hmm. Right. On Tatooine. And at the end of episode three, mm-hmm. Luke is left with. His uncle, I guess you could say. His step-uncle, Owen. Yeah, I guess their step-brothers is what it ends up being. Yeah, right. Not not by um, blood. Right. Um, and then you have his uh, wife, girlfriend. Oh, his at-the-time girlfriend yeah. in episode two who they yeah, got married. Yeah, in episode two. They got married somewhere in between there yeah. or at least are married by the time that, you know. Right. I don't know. What if they're just living in sin? <laughs> so. What if they're just partners and they're just like common law married? That might be. I, I mean, he I says Aunt Owen and digging. Aunt Beru, but I don't know if he says Beru White Sons. Maybe she still has her maiden name. I don't know. I th- no, I don't know. No, no, no. It is Beru Lars, but it was Beru right. White Sons because right. they were just uh, boyfriend girlfriend, and right. um, obviously pretty close because it's like heavily implied that Beru like spends most of her time on the Lar homestead. Yeah, because I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I mean, she's there bored, in the middle right? of a random morning. So <laughs> when Anakin just and Owen's up, just yeah. like, "This is my girlfriend." I'm like, "She spend the night." You just open with that, Clegg. Are you cool with that? I mean, I guess she's I a mean, nice Owen's girl. A, you know? I'm not an adult. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have, so we have, uh, we have this whole family. So Owen and Beru are the first Larses we meet, right? In Episode Four, Star Wars: A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Owen is kind of a a, a tough figure for Curmudgeon. Luke. Well, I mean, I, you know, looking at the time, sure. 
looking back on it, you know, as not a six year old child, uh, I would say, I don't know if he's necessarily being that hard, but I mean, that is the point of the character, right? Is to basically be a barrier for our hero well, to get up and do something. It's another, it's another challenge to overcome. Right, exactly. So we have Baru, who's basically encouraging Owen to say, no, no, most of his friends have gone. You can't expect him to stay here forever. Oh, I just need him for one more harvest. One more season. You'll see. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah, see. Yeah. I'll make enough money but to it, hire some more hands. And But to be honest with yeah. you, as an adult and, and looking at that line and looking at that stuff, I think you do have one thing that is kind of true, which is we, we always knew that Baru has like Luke's best interest because like often in Hollywood and stories the the mom is on the son's side yeah right she's like oh come on his friends are gone I mean he's just not a farmer he's not he doesn't belong here and that's okay and Owen's like and I kind of feel for Owen in the sense of like he's the disgruntled dad who's like looks it especially as a person who has his own issues with taking over family businesses (laughs) you have this safe stable thing they are well-to-do, successful. I mean, for goodness sakes, they have two cars. Not everyone in Tatooine has two cars. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, like, they're a... And then a Skyhopper. They own a Skyhopper for funsies. Like, obviously, the Lars are upper-middle class at worst. And Owen has this future for Luke that's stable and safe. And Luke's just going to get it. There's no one else, you know, Owen and Lars never had their own kids. So Luke is their son and Luke is going to one day own all of this. Right. He's got this perfectly safe future. And it's understandable for Owen to be dismissive of like this head in the clouds. Go fight the war. Go be an imperial pilot. Be a fascist. (laughs) You know, we, we never really get an idea of what Owen's politics are. So he might not like sending his son to the academy. We don't know. Yeah. Um, but you can see that there is a there is a best interest at heart way of looking at that that I don't think I saw when I was younger. Okay. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Were Owen and Baru happy to receive Luke? Were Baru they... was. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, you I see think... that that scene Obi Wan hands her over in Revenge of the Sith and, and Baru's like, Oh, isn't oh. this great? Look at the little baby. And yeah. Owen's like Let's go over stand dramatically by this hill. <laughs> yeah, I, there's. I bet there's more to it in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. I should have reread well, that. Well, let's put it this way: I the other that thing week. that we that might be at play here that's kind of yeah. interesting and would be very much in the fairy tale nature that like Star Wars is cut out of the mold. Mm-hmm. It could be that they've been married for a couple years now. I mean, there's like what three and a half, four years between Episode Two and this. There's the whole Clone Wars. <sighs> I think it's two and a half. So by then, you know, they might be married and they might have already realized that like Brew can't have kids or Owen yeah. can't have kids. So this could be this just miracle baby of the fact of like, hey, they get a chance to have offspring, even though they yeah. naturally can't. Hey, maybe that'll be explored in the Obi-Wan series. Who knows? I mean, they got to fill eight episodes I would love somehow. To see, I would love to see more of Owen Lars because like I yeah. said, I think there's an interesting character to both of them. Oh, there is. There is, especially because we know them at the beginning of their lives and the end. Right. But we don't really know who they are as people. And to be honest, that's kind of interesting. I mean, in one Star Wars movie, they're relatively important characters. Yeah. You know, I mean, in A New Hope, they're a big they're his part family. of the first act. It's important. Uh and so it would be great to get to know them more. So yeah, totally. let me ask you this that one about it. So yeah. uh before we talk about the death, the end of the Lars. The line, end of the Lars right? plan. Did you think that before the prequels, 
just knowing what we knew basically from episode four, that Luke was not a blood relative of the Lars. Well, I mean, the there's f- definitely nothing in episode four that says that one. And way that's or kind another. of funny, right? Like looking yeah. back, like we always, I think, made the assumption that like Owen is the brother, the the direct brother of yeah. of him. And which maybe doesn't make if you sense. were, well, wait, wait. But it, maybe if you were open-minded, you took it as, like, half-brother because they do have different last names. Right. Now, admittedly, we also don't know the Ani- name Anakin until, like, later in Star Wars. That yeah. he's... Anakin Skywalker was the name. Yeah. So, it is weird that Luke has a different last name, but we just kind of thought, oh, well, who knows? Um, I mean, in episode four, it could totally be that, like, Lars was related on his mother's side, and that's why he has a different name. Like, mm-hmm. there's not enough information back then. Right, and exactly. You that's and I also didn't live back then to have an opinion like that. We had all three OT when we came on the scene, so correct. I already correct. knew Anakin Skywalker, and Anakin Skywalker is the blood relative of of Luke, and obviously Owen and Anakin must be related some way. That's well, that's what we always. That's what I always thought. Basically, right. is my point here. So, okay, so you take. This child into hiding. Yeah. Right. This child who is uh, presumably wanted by the Empire. Maybe. I mean, if enough pieces get out, right? I think the point is, if it was known that Anakin Skywalker had offspring, they would be targeted. I think the safety net of all of this is the assumption that no one knows. Well, that's fair. Okay. And that that is established. That is set up. Yeah, that's that's all fair, right? Okay. But... Why not Luke Lars? Why not just change the last name? Um, I I think there are two reasons. One, Skywalker's a cooler name. Definitely. I think that's, that's step one. Definitely. And I think step two, it again is getting too much into trying to think of Star Wars as a realistic place and not a fictional fantasy place. And that's He fair. has the name of his father because the, the son of the errant Jedi Knight should have bear the name of his father right yeah or have an amulet that proves that he actually is the son (laughs) of the knight of the round that is anakin skywalker right oh i'm fine with it i'm just curious on what your thoughts are well one thing that thinking of star wars is a real place people like well if you named skywalker gosh that would make sense you know they figured out i'm like well first off like there's a phone book well there's two things let's say there is a phone book (laughs) we're talking about quadrillions of humans living in the Star Wars universe. Skywalker, I'm not saying it's Smith, but let me just tell you, if you think that Anakin and Luke and Leia are the only ones to have the Skywalker name, that's insane. Well, yeah, there's also Shmi. <laughs> but I mean, like, I think that name gets talking... around. Okay. I like know. that there's at least a couple million Skywalkers just by the numbers in the galaxy. Uh, and then two, I, I think Tatooine's a really safe place because there's limited Imperial presence there. And it's probably the one place Anakin Skywalker, if he can avoid it, will never go to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I could totally see a scene where Vader is, like, on his Star Destroyer after, after like, you know, chasing them from Scarif and just going, like, out of all the places in the damn universe, we ended up here. Yeah. If there's a bright center of the universe, this is the planet that's the <laughs> farthest it's from. <laughs> okay. You know, just kind of like, yeah, you know, gotcha. we all like to reminisce about that fantasy story that's just, what, a painting. It never actually happened or it never has yeah. been written about, which is like on Cloud City where, like, they have the parts of C-3PO and Darth Vader looking at that skull going, like, I built you. Like, it's a great moment. It doesn't necessarily exist, but it's a great moment to think about what if. It is. Abs- what if. That's exactly right. Okay. So 
do you have anything else besides the death of these two characters? Well, I've got two more anything things I want to say about? about the Lars in general. Okay, hit me. Okay, so first one is I just want to play up to yes, he's a little bit of a weirdo, but I like Klieg Lars. <laughs> I like that he's in that space that hover chair. Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. And I um, think that they established pretty well that like, yeah, yeah, the line feels a little lame of like, well, I, I go after her, but, you know, my leg. I like that. I like that line. It's kind of weird, but like when it. you also listen a little more in the dialogue of like, they got raided and that's yeah. how his knee, like he doesn't necessarily always live in this chair. Yeah. The other darker thing to think about is that somewhere... In those 19 years, Klieg doesn't make it. <laughs> Klieg, um, I believe, canonically dies between episode two and three. Okay. I, I, I think I, was, I have read that. Somewhere. Okay, so he's not he's I not, don't, that's not he's not sitting in his hover chair going senile somewhere in the Lars homestead <laughs> stead when they take the baby. He's, he's, not he's gone out, by He's then. not out on the East Ridge, you know, just talking to himself. No, no, no. He, I, I don't have this one written down, but I, I believe he dies before episode three. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm just saying, Klieg's an interesting character because obviously being the is. patriarch of the family and picking up Shmee, I'm like, there's an interesting story to be told about him. But in the end, he's just very much a very character, actory yeah. character. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of got like a one note of like, ah, I'm the poor old farmer, loved right. your mom, but well, son, the monsters took her. There's nothing you can do about it. It's like, I'll go do something about it because I'm Anakin Skywalker. What I liked about Klieg is that he very much feels like he is Owen's father. Very like much. Owen, we meet in episode four. They well, feel well, like the best they part match. is Apple when you have far. him and Baru and them yeah. just sort of watching this stuff, being kind of quiet during most of episode two, yeah. and seeing this like psycho psychopath that's like his half brother just like apparently ran around, killed a whole Buscan Tuscan Raiders, landed yeah. their sweet ship next to us, which has filled my wet my girlfriend with all kinds of ideas of fancy stuff they could buy. And then what happens? They all leave. Never to be seen from again. And then they yeah. show up with a baby. Like, the, it's such a weird thing to them. But I get this. I don't know where it comes from, but I get this idea. Especially when Owen in episode three and Baru hold the baby and look at the binary sunset. Obviously, we're playing homage to right. that. But I feel like that's where Owen becomes Klieg. That's where he descends into being Klieg. Because I think before that, he probably went to Anchorhead and, you know... That dicked around with power converters and his friends. Yeah, he became an adult just kind of like that. Huh? And I think it's one of those things of like, much like, you know, every child is doomed to become their parent. You start saying the things that your parents said to you and you cover your mouth going, oh, no, I've become them. <laughs> yeah, and that's happened I, to me a few times. And I think that's where like Klieg's kind of rough and tumble farmerness. That's. That's Owen's template. That's the only father he knew, so he passes that right along. And then the second thing I want to say about the the Lars is the fact that um, I think that it, they are interesting in the sense that I'm very curious to know what happens to that homestead after everybody leaves in the sense of it seems like for them to be as well-to-do as they are, they're an important part of the local economy. Yeah, I mean, they're producing the moisture. Right. right? Water's important on a desert planet. Yeah, I mean, you need it to survive. So I I don't think they're the only name in the game. But yeah, it's got to leave a big empty space for competition. I'm just saying. I'm I'm just saying there's probably, you know, the the water shortage of BBY. Okay. Okay. So who could take over? 
Who do we have? I mean, you know, that, well, I don't that know. Rancor Keeper, this is Malachi a tale. is looking for something to do now. Well, this is a tale for another time, but I'm like, well, maybe <laughs> one of Luke's friends, but apparently they keep getting killed off in the comic books, so there's not many of them left. Oh, boy. Okay. Mm, that's a tale for another time. Uh, all let's right. talk about- The death. Uh, let's talk about something Let's talk about the- Yeah, why is there an absent? Well, it's because Aunt and Uncle, they don't make it. So did they take them outside to burn them alive? Or did they burn them alive and then they ran outside before collapsing? I don't know. I don't know where that's George... that's a weird place to be. I'm just saying the most PG-13 thing in the original trilogy is this sequence. Just skeletons on fire? Well, skeletons with this brown mottled like bone, you know, sinew yeah. and muscle that's like scorched onto their bones so that you could just see enough human on them that they're not just pale white skeletons. Yeah. And they're trapped in this grimacing like, you know, death pose yeah i so Not the thing pleasant. about it is first off what the heck did they shoot him with we never see anything like that in yeah, star wars we never ever again flame troopers we, until yeah, episode seven that's what they look like right they look like they got flamethrown yeah yeah maybe that's what they did i mean maybe yeah. that maybe if we look inside the lars homes it's just all blackened out because they just to destroy the evidence just burn the place yeah. out um, there's Makes also sense. the assumption maybe they're doing that or they use like napalm or something because we can run. Well, we can run under the assumption that the stormtroopers that kill them are still pretending to be Tuscan Raiders because they were when they blew up the sand yeah. crawler. So maybe they're still pretending and mm-hmm. using primitive weapons and stuff like that. But either that way, I agree with you that what I see is they got pulled out of their homes by the scuff of their neck, thrown onto the stairs and Basically, one looks back, gets burnt, and the other one's trying to crawl away, which is why the one hand is, like, stretched out, and then they get burnt. Like, it's totally, like, dragged them out and shot them in the street kind of feel. It does. It's rougher than we see. It it feels on par for what we've seen the First Order do. Yes. But it feels rougher than what we ever see the Empire do on film. They've, They've done a lot to rectify the brutality of the Empire in other media, but in the original trilogy specifically, the Empire is not... We hear they're oppressive. We don't see they're oppressive all that much. We, I think the biggest thing about it is when we think of the Empire being cruel, it's police state stuff. Yeah. It's like people being, you know, shot protesters being open fire on protesters. It's, you know, um, people being incarcerated as political prisoners. It's that kind of stuff. This is like straight-up Vietnam-era war crime stuff. Like, of just... Yeah. massacring people yeah i mean the way they took care of the jawas that yeah. entire colony of jawas yeah. and the way they killed um, i guess you have alderan um i guess that's no but what i'm bad. trying to say is, <laughs> but like yeah this what feels I'm trying more to say, personal no no but what i'm trying to say about that is like when we think of like the empire it's a clean shot to the head right like they don't they don't seem to have malice about what they do like when they blow up alderan it is literally this calculation of like well it's a more effective demonstration yeah. They're not looking into the face of the Alderanians as they kill them. Like, right. there's not that um, cruelty and malice yeah, embedded into their fair. emotions. There's a cold inhumaneness to it, but not a direct inhumane. But, like, yeah. whatever happened to... Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru did not deserve what happened to no. them. No. They deserve to just be shot cleanly, like, there's in their There's some, armchairs, like, alternate dead. take where, like, I guess Owen is just, like doing a mockery of the stormtrooper commander who's there. Like every time he speaks, he's just doing the little kid voice of could like you repeating just see, him. Could you like, just see maybe him? that's what happened? Could you just see him like basically gets in trouble? He like shoots a slug thrower at the stormtrooper and he's just screaming castle doctrine as he gets shot. <laughs> 
Maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe he totally got like what you know. Here's the other thing: is that yeah. doesn't lead to the capture of Luke. So while we are pretty sure Aunt, the Aunt and Uncle have no idea where Luke went that morning, right? Yeah. There's a part of me that's like, do you think they had a noble end? Do you think the stormtroopers like like throwing them out in the street? Like you're going to answer us? Where did those droids go? And they're like, we're not going to tell you. And then they get vaped. That's. I mean, that's probably realistically what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, though. I See, that's the thing. We don't tr- truly know enough about Owen and Baru as characters other than, I mean, the one thing we know is they cared enough about yeah. this baby who yep. they had a minimal relationship to. I mean, I mean, it's you know, just shot. Wait, wait, the adoption paperwork would be easier. That's about the only thing that's going on here. Right, right. You know, so, I mean, I guess you take that as a good deed, right? As a kind well, act. They, I don't think there's any other him. way to and look at raised, that. They raised a fine young man. I mean, yeah. I think Baru gave him some of the idealism that his Skywalker genes take over with. Yeah. And I think Owen gave him a practical nature. I think that, like, I'm sure that Owen encouraged him to rebuild and fix stuff. Sit down, work hard. Luke yeah. didn't buy that Skywalker by himself. Owen <laughs> bought that for him for his 16th birthday or something. You know what I mean? Like... I think there is a genuine love in that household, and I think that Luke is the product of those two people. But not Luke Lars. What if maybe maybe his middle name? What if there's a parallel? What if universe where it's like Luke Lars, and he's just like like you know sees the call to adventures, like like you know the red like bursts his motivator goes bad, like Uncle Owen has got a bad motivator, and Lois goes like you can fix it. We'll still take it, but you're going to knock some money off of it. And then uh, R2-D2 gets on the Jawa ship. The Empire blows up the Jawa ship, takes the droid, gets rid of the Death Star plans. Alderaan's blown up and a reign of tyranny goes on while Luke Lars in the backwaters of the universe just makes an honest living as a moisture farmer. You know, there's a great little uh, kind of what if at the beginning of the Last Jedi novelization that almost talks about that a little bit. Oh, what if he had yeah, never become Luke was uh, Luke Skywalker? Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't read the Last Jedi novelization, uh, hey, maybe it's worth checking out. But having said that, yeah, the Lars family, I, I like them. I, I honestly think that they are a small but important yeah. part. And I agree with you. Like, I would love to see in the Obi Wan Kenobi a little bit mm-hmm. of like Luke's mom and dad show up and have opinions mm-hmm. about what this crazy old wizard mm-hmm. is doing and where we get this kind of dismissive thing because they obviously Owen doesn't trust her like Obi-Wan. Yeah. That old wizard's a madman. Like it's, it's, um, and I think that comes from the fact of Owen's trying to keep his son safe. And you know what? He did a pretty decent job. All things considered. Totally. I mean, Luke got on his journey and Owen and Baru kind of served their thematic purpose. So, uh, yeah, I like the Lars. So, Joel Egerton might be back. Who knows? Who knows? You know, that would know. be cool. I would be very, I think that would be really He's cool. He's become a little bit of a bigger actor since 2002. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. Mm. They tried to make him an action star for a while, right? Well, you know, you could try anything. He's in some other stuff. He's in some stuff that's decent. Anyway. No, no, he uh, is. I, I, I think it would be, I would love to see more of everyday life on Tatooine yeah. in the Kenobi series. That would it be It does nice. sound like fun, doesn't it? It does. Okay. Awesome. Let's talk about something else. All right.
working on the design of Crate, I wanted creatures that felt indigenous to the planet. I wanted something that felt like it was part of the landscape and that it really belonged there. And his starting point that he gave us was to think of a creature that had taken on its environment physiologically and biologically into its body. So this is one of the early designs. Then I responded to Ryan's feedback about choosing something more elegant and beautiful with this design. Once this design was signed off, it became about seeing how that would practically work on a live animal. Who's a good boy? Jingle, jingle, jingle. Oh, they're so cute. Jingle, jingle, jingle. What is that sound? I think that's the sound of the legendary animals of the planet Crate. I think that's... Volpatees? Volpatees? <laughs> a Volptex <laughs> is one. A Volptex, yes. And I believe it's a Volptaces uh-huh. is a group of them, or right. multiple. Yeah. Volptaces. Well, right. It makes sense, because... Uh, I, I love that name because it's just they took to what they are. They're mm-hmm. crystal foxes. Yeah. And so they took the Latin for the Latin root for uh, foxes, which is vulpine. And then they added that to text, which is just another way of stating like a polyhedron. OK. Which is what they are. OK. So it literally means in Latin crystal fox. So if you don't know. If somehow you've never seen Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, which I feel bad talking, for you, especially for this particular moment. Yeah, uh, because you're missing out on learning all about the Vulptex. So at the last act of the movie, we mm-hmm. find our heroes on the planet Crate, which is a salt planet. So it's got a nice, pristine sort of white surface, and underneath of it, sort of a a violent red, jagged underbelly. Yeah, there's this like really crimson bedrock and then there's a thick layer of salt of crystalline salt just covering the planet Mm -hmm. and we have a local population of these volptex so they are basically foxes that Mm -hmm. are white and have a crystal shell yeah like a coat (laughs) Uh, yeah that's hanging crystals and uh they sound and move and act a lot like uh like dogs and foxes and With they this have a wind nice chime little sound following yeah, them. that's the way to describe yeah. it a nice little jingle jangle a nice little wind chime sound okay which uh, i think is what makes it sound like it sounds more like the crystals have formed on their skin rather than it's formed of their skin well okay so here's okay. the thing they get their appearance from feeding off the planet. That's from Neil Scanlon said that of Scanlon. So these are like designs. deer. They just lick the salt. And so essentially by consuming things on the planet. So they eat uh, small mammals that burrow in the ground. Oh, okay. Right. So from apparently their full diet, their environment, they basically adapted. I, I took it as they've evolved gotcha. to take on some of the planet's characteristics. Okay. Now, who knows how long they've been there? I mean, we know they've been there before the age of the Resistance. They were there during the age of the Rebellion. We see in well, Leia, Princess be... of Alderaan, we see that there's an early Rebellion base on Crate, you know, when she, before A New Hope. Oh, And yeah, the Crystal Foxes are it. there then. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, we could definitely assume that they've either been here for centuries yeah. or that maybe this outpost was originally an Old Republic outpost. So someone left their pet fox there. Or during the rebellion, they left their pet fox there. It could definitely be any of those. It, it could be. That's the thing. We don't have a straight answer. That's fair. So they live in groups called skulks. 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 Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, they are not sentient, but can communicate using their bristles against rocks to create sound. And oh. apparently this is from the Rose Tycho Resistance Hero book. That is a, mm. a, a children's book, I believe. Not We're not talking young adult novel. We're not talking reference or even a young reader. I think yeah, we're talking yeah. a literal children's book here. Um, I don't have that one, so I wasn't able to cross-reference. But basically, we've got... Uh, a good bit of information for these creatures that are only in one Star Wars movie. And only like three scenes. Yeah. I mean, they really don't have a lot to do, but they actually do serve an important they purpose. They do a huge thing. Yeah. But before we talk about them in the plot, one other thing, they were originally planned to be practical. Uh, they were basically originally built out. Uh, there's a great behind the scenes feature on The Last Jedi bonus features mm-hmm. that basically show the creature shop designing them you know they started out with more of a a rough look kind of a a more geological kind of like i don't know what would you say like it looks like if you're like something that looks more crustacean well what it looks like is it looks like like a small like uh like a bear or some hunched over kind of mammal and then it looks like if you've ever seen um jewelry sculpture where they sculpt things out of like gemstones Mm -hmm, and stuff mm -hmm. that's what it looks like because it looked like it was more like just studded in like a hide made of gemstones yeah different colors much darker more earthy colors there there wasn't nearly as that elongated crystal like crystal hairs yeah. like the voltex yeah they feel much have. fancier what we end up getting they feel yes. much sleeker if that's a good way to describe them yeah uh yeah. purer yeah right? especially the white because there's yeah. more of a reddish brown like garnet yeah. color to the original that you showed yeah. me yeah, so uh, if you haven't checked out that bonus feature, it's great because you get to see a bunch of dogs running around in Crystal Fox costumes. Yes, them r- wrapping, <laughs> yeah, wrapping uh, greyhounds up in crystals. Yeah, uh, it's quite adorable. But yeah, that was the original plan was to see if they could do it practically. And I think when that didn't work out, they went with their digital approach rather than just digital enhancement, which is probably what they would have done. Mm-hmm. And so we end up with what we see in the film. Now, we see them in a couple of instances. We see them running into the base as the door of crate is closing, closing. right? Yep. We get that. That's kind of our first shot of them. We see them in the base a little bit. Finn references them as the crystal critters. Yes. Right? Later in the film when he goes, where did, where did the oh, crystal critters crystal... go? Right? When they realize all of a sudden they're gone. And they serve the purpose of leading our heroes out of their to the back doom. entrance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, other if, if it wasn't for them, they were in trouble. The the resistance is trapped in this base. The first order is pounding on the door. Uh, you know, there isn't much standing in their way besides a lone Jedi with a laser sword facing down the whole first order. So, you know, <laughs> there, there's really not a lot of hope here at this moment. So they're like, how do we get out of here? And they follow the crystal foxes out the back door, which except, I think is except, uh, which is oh. my favorite part of the entire exist their existence is the one that looks back like a dog <laughs> does and then pushes itself through the fence, the hole in the fence that's too small for a person, aka the, yeah. the hole in the boulders. Yeah, and then we see it pop out the other side, perfectly fine. As the heroes are like, no, yeah. no. But Ray does see them. So the, there's a yes. there's a cave in. Maybe it was purposeful. I think it probably was right to block off that natural entrance of the cave. But basically, there's a whole bunch of rocks collapsed. The foxes, the Volptex, are able to squeeze their way through, but. Poe, Finn, Leia, and the rest of our heroes are not. So Ray has to use the force to move the rocks aside. But we see the foxes coming through the rocks. We see them running up over the top of the peak. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what signals to Ray that, hey, that's where my friends are. And, you know, she's able to land the Falcon and go get them. Yep. 
Which is great. So they serve a very important yeah. story piece. Uh, like all important Star Wars creatures and characters and things, it did get a Funko Pop. Uh, so of there course. is a Voltex Funko Pop if you'd like that. Uh, it's pretty cool. Not as good as the Caretaker, but still pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, they're cool. I, I like them. I don't think I really have a need to ever see them again. I like that they're kind of part of that planet, just like yes. the way the Wampa was part of Hoth, just like a way the, the Ewoks are part of Endor. Uh, I, I like well, them. The thing I think they're I like a great about, addition. I think the thing I really like about them is it really is starting to play around with something we don't see in our own world very much, mm-hmm. which makes them feel alien in a great way, is they're organic and inorganic. Like yeah. they're 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 definitely foxes. We can see the canine kind of movements of them and stuff, but their entire body's made out of like hardened crystals. Yeah. And I love just how elegant and and fun that looks, but mm-hmm. also how biologically that doesn't make any sense based on our understanding of biology. <laughs> and I like that. That's what Star Wars should yeah. feel like to me is an elegant creature that I don't understand. Yeah. And uh I think they did a great job. They did. I, I think they came out great. They're pretty. They're nice. They and evoke they a interest. beautiful sound. Just a they little do. beautiful sound. They do nice, and, li- nice and light on their feet. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, yeah. you say we're never gonna we're never gonna see him again. Like, I hope in books, comic books, alternate stuff, I would love to know more about the crate base because it seems like a really interesting, yeah. well-established home base. Yeah. Well, have you have you read Leia, Princess of Alderaan? I'm not. Does well, that go into it? It does. They, Leia uh, ends up there. Do they explain why they have a giant door there? They talk about some of it. Okay, because yeah, it, like, it seems like the giant door is really yeah. in place, so that if you had, say, a giant yeah. battering ram, it would have an interesting dramatic yeah. scene in the so if you know, third act of a film. So, I love that. Uh, all right, hold on, hold on. So, if you don't know, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, is a is a young adult novel uh, written by Claudia Gray that stars Leia and Amalyn Holdo, another character from the Last yes. Jedi. Okay. So, definitely worth checking out uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about Crate and see its first chronological canon appearance okay well and also i guess technically its first appearance overall because last jedi i don't think had come out yet okay maybe i'm wrong i, I can't remember but still one of the An only few appearance. appearances yeah. of crate one of two appearances of crate uh so definitely worth checking out cool and i would like to see that because again i think it's a i think it's one of the more starkly interesting planets we've ever mm-hmm. seen because again it's like a really simple idea, but just scraping that white away to see these just streaks of red has such as a splash of violence to it that yeah, just it does. makes the battle of crate look really, really, really cool. It it a lot of things. Well, all right. I feel like fans bring this up a lot of how can you have planets? Star Wars is known for having planets that are one dynamic, right? You They're have a sand the, planet, an ice planet, a It's a, a tradition planet, of uh, space operas going back to right. Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, the idea of the ice world of Hoth, right. the desert planet Tatooine. And that's, right. to be blunt, it's the same way that we have countries on the Earth. It's to keep them interesting and more relatable. Yeah. Obviously, now that we are exoplanetary uh, species, we know about how planets form that aren't Earth. Yeah. We understand that most planets would end up like Earth. They would have a bio, a, a diverse set of biomes here yeah. on the planet. But Star Wars is also fantasy where laser swords know how to go so high and they have telekinesis yeah, it, and mind reading. It's so. perfectly fine. It's perfect. I think it's fine. one of the My charms of the galaxy. Are there. Yeah. It's because we have both. I mean, we have planets that are less, shall we say, unique and more 
Metropolis. Well, Kashyyyk but... is probably the best example of we've seen at right. least two biomes of Kashyyyk. We've seen the jungles and like beaches yeah. in episode three. And in the holiday special, we've seen the giant redwood, you know, super trees. Yeah. Um, so Star Wars can have that diversity, yeah, but it, it tries to avoid it for the sake right. of clarity in filmmaking. Right. And so to bring it back home to the point of that is just basically that Crate feels unique. Totally. At, at least to me. It feels like something we hadn't seen before because while, yes, it is a barren planet like a lot of the other planets our rebels have hit on over the years, mm-hmm. it we see more of it, right? Mm-hmm. In Hoth, we only saw ice. On Endor, we only saw trees. Yeah. Right? In Crate, we see here's something that's been established, like the Rebel base, you know, something that's been built. Here's the outside. Here's the planet's core. Here's what it looks like when you move aside some of the dirt on the planet. You know, mm-hmm. we get to see a little bit of everything, which is kind of nice. And I think the cool thing about the Vault in context, or Vault in context to all yeah. of this, is they also show a continual theme of Star Wars, and I appreciate seeing it again. Which is the idea, life is everywhere. Yeah. That because of the living force that runs throughout the entire universe, life finds a way everywhere. Whether it's the vacuum of space with the exagoras, the big space slugs, or or the that whatever the heck that was in a freaking sea of black holes in the maelstrom in Solo. Or whether it's here on this salt flat planet, we have these yeah. little crystalline foxes that live here. And mm-hmm. basically anywhere humans could live, someone else already lives there. And I think that's an important thematic piece of Star Wars, even when you deal with a creature like this, which is a little less alive than we would normally look at. Because, Mm -hmm. again, it's made of rock as much as it's made of flesh and bone. I mean, one of the biggest themes of Star Wars is life versus control. Right. You know, you know, you have the, the Rebel Alliance and the Force representing nature and the Empire representing machines and technology. Right. And I mean, that's one of the earliest themes. Right. Totally. Awesome. Um, They're cool. You yeah. know, that there's beautiful. Uh, yeah, there, there's plushes. There's Funko Pops go wild on Crystal Foxes. I would just say that they're beautiful and awesome. But as much as I think they're they're cute. If you ever find yourself in the Star Wars galaxy, don't pet them. That that rock is probably yeah, really sharp. sharp? It, they look sharp. Even they look if they're pointy. dulled down, it's still not going to be like petting a dog or a cat. It's yeah. going to be petting a crystal growth. <laughs> huh. It's going to be, okay. if not sharp, it's still going to be hard and cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. But okay. they're cute. They are cute. All right. With that, we'll move on to something else. <laughs> We're bringing another one home. Another Star Wars all-in is done. Another fun day. Yeah. Another fun day. You know, I've learned that we can really talk about anything. We can. We we know Star Wars too well. If I can do 25 minutes on the Lars homestead, <laughs> whew, I'm going to be able to really stretch out Ray's magic bread. Well, I think it's just because we love this universe and we like exploring it. And there's always more to explore. There's always... 
I mean, I think we spend a lot of time with the Lars just going like the what ifs of like, yeah. well, you know, hey, when I was a kid, I thought Lars is a curmudgeon, curmudgeon, and now I see him as like, I can see him as a dad. Like, I didn't know I had those feelings until we said, <laughs> let's talk about this. And they go, I have these feelings that I didn't know I had. Yeah. I've searched my feelings and I found and, something. And I felt the same way about the Falcon. Thinking yeah. of it more now as a character than ever before with the addition of L3 and seeing where it got its start with Lando. Uh, it's great to have these extra details, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. It, it, Star Wars is a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. really is. We like it. We, we do. Uh, so we'd love to know what you think about the Lars family and all of those other things that we have talked about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac, do you have anything else to add? I, I would just like just, to hear from you guys. I just want to give a little uh, a little uh, tease. If you're listening to this in real Ooh. time in the order that it was listening to being produced, or more importantly, you're listening to it in chronological order, get yeah. ready for the next episode. We get a little spooky. Ooh. We get a little spooky. We're going to have not necessarily a Halloween special, but we're going to have Halloween-themed topics, let's say. Stuff that... Drives well with the spooky season. It's going to be spookier than our Sithtacular episode. Yes, even though we will not be able to talk about, like, you know, pumpkin-spiced calf in the Star Wars universe, we will be talking Uh, about other, you know, spooky stuff. Okay, okay. Like Wookiees ripping the arms out of people's sockets? That's just more gory. Mm, We're not having that kind of Halloween. No, 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 no. This is going to be more a family-friendly Halloween is what you're saying? I just want to say it is really fun in Solo. They finally did that. (laughs) <laughs> that he finally does rip someone's arms out of their sockets. Yeah. They're well, known to do the that. the one that could have fit me. The what? <laughs> right? And of course, it doesn't work out for them. Uh-huh. What a great, uh, what a great thing. So tune in next week for a particular spooky episode. Ooh. I'm excited. All right, Mac, let's head that's out, it. huh? All right, I guess that's it. See you later, folks. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Grieco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, movie clips, and sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2019.